Welcome to the Human Strike Back by Hotjar, the weekly podcast designed to help you succeed by putting people first. I'm David Peralta, and today you'll be hearing from Alice Carolina Smith, the founder of theethicalmove.org. Alice has a very unique story to share of how she went from dropping out of design school in Switzerland to being exposed to massive levels of income inequality in Bolivia, and how that eventually led her to create an organization dedicated to change the way companies contribute to the cycle of consumerism. It's a story of how she reached a breaking point with traditional marketing methods that lead us to compromise our integrity, our honesty, and our transparency, all for a sale. And instead, how she decided to focus her energy on encouraging companies to work towards serving the world around us. In other words, to help companies succeed by putting people first. Enjoy. So you're originally from Switzerland? I am, yeah. I'm part Canadian. I grew up bilingual. That's why I don't really have an accent. Okay, yes. okay, that's why. And so did you did you grow up in Switzerland or did I you grow did. up in Canada? Born and raised. No, I do say that I identify Swiss. Um, I grew up in Switzerland, went to school there, did everything there, and then uh, started traveling when I was 18. And that's when everything sort of shifted. So I, I would love to talk to you about the ethical move. This is a, this is a, a movement or an organization that was... Uh, how how recently did you start it? Um, oh, God. I mean, start it, I guess, in my head two years ago, maybe three years ago. A little more intense and serious this year. And then the actual launch of our movement was in the last two months, uh, maybe three. Um, I wrote an article on manipulation in December of 2017. So that's kind of where everything started. And I already had everything sort of like set up for the movement, but um, we, we launched actually with everything about a month ago. And can you tell our listeners in a couple of sentences what the ethical move uh, stands for and what it's all about? The ethical move really is uh, the start of a conversation around manipulation and marketing. Um, the ultimate goal for it is to create an ethical marketing standard um, that will then be able to be used almost like fair trade or organic um, in the way that we can actually help businesses create brand value through using ethics in marketing um, as opposed to just having another rule to follow, having more rules to follow. Um, we really want to start finding out what people actually need. Um, and this is sort of like the people first approach, I guess, is we're really starting the conversation. We're, we're not, we don't have any answers yet. We have a few things figured out. Um, we're putting a stake in the ground and seeing what comes back. So this is something that's really close to our heart. I mean, this is exactly why we reached out to you. Somebody sent us an email about uh, about this this movement that had just started, and we took one look and we thought this we we have to have you on the show because that's that's exactly what we're all about. You know, I mean, ultimately we believe that marketing shouldn't be about manipulating people and coercing them into taking action. It should be about connecting with them, understanding what their needs are, helping them. Uh, in order to really solve their challenges and their needs. And that by doing that, you create a relationship, a mutually beneficial relationship where you help them fulfill their needs. They help you grow your business and it's win-win for everybody. Absolutely. I think there's, there's a few places where we, where we sort of fall off the wagon, which is one being that we are taught that coercion is normal or that it, it should, that's just the way business is done. And you're not doing a good job if you're not hacking people's minds. Um, and then the other side is that we really go on the market with all kinds of products that might not actually be necessary. And we're not really taking a hard look at what's really 
there. If your product doesn't sell at $300, um, if you have it at $297, you can sell it. If at $300, you can't, then I would really go back and look at the product and find out why, you know, because if you have to actually convince someone to buy it, if you have to coerce someone to buy your product, then what's the point? So I definitely want to get into the details of what the ethical move stands for and what kind of actions you're supporting. Mm -hmm. But I'd also like to know about the backstory. What was it that led you to found the ethical move? Yeah, um, it really started um, very early on, I think, um, with just a mother that was very concerned about the world in general. Um, I remember being a kid um, listening to the radio. We didn't have a TV um, when the Kuwait oil fields were burning. And I just remember my mother actually crying. And I didn't know why I was too young to really understand. But she just kind of was crying about the destruction that we're capable of. And that kind of stuck with me um, throughout the years. And then um, I had my first burnout when I was 17 in graphic design school. Um, and my family decided I should probably take some time off. And I went to Bolivia first because that's where my godmother lives. I don't know if you've ever been. There's this, La Paz is almost this cauldron of a city. It's like a, a valley. And in the middle, there's this almost like a cliff, I guess, where, um, I don't know if that's actually the right English word for it. Um, it's like a rock face on top of the rock is are maybe like 10, maybe 20 houses of super, super rich people. Um, and I mean, super, super rich for Bolivian standards. Um, they're quite normal for Switzerland, I guess. Um, but they were basically separated by, with a gate and a guard from the slum that was right outside. And I mean slum, like just object poverty. And I mean, that's, that's what you see in Bolivia. It's probably, I think it's the second poorest country in South America, or it was anyways at the time. And it was just so unbelievable to me that we would have these hyper-rich people and really, really, really poor people. Like the, I just had this sort of visceral experience of inequality on a level that I couldn't even fathom because I, I would walk out, I would pick up some rocks for, you know, when the dogs came after you. <laughs> it just, you know, was a thing in the slum and the rich kids would always take taxis and I just couldn't afford that. So I would walk down to the public bus. And then I would take the bus with all these other people from the slum and just drive by so many mudslides where people just died overnight because there's rich people having built houses over top on, on a rock that shouldn't be built on. And it just, the whole thing just appalled me. It was just harrowing to, to see the, like the actual physical representation of inequality. So like just in a perfect image, a perfect metaphor. Um, and I couldn't be with it. And so I, I actually moved out from her house, um, because it was also the, the complaining at her house about like, oh, the, the cholitas, the, the, the servants, I guess, weren't really picking up their slack or, you know, there's not the right Kellogg's at the store or, you know, there's just a high level or the, the taxis are getting more expensive to get the kids to tennis practice. And, it just, all of that just seems so absolutely irrelevant in comparison to what's happening right outside the gate, which is a hundred meters away, you know? So she, you, you mean there, she was complaining about first world problems while right outside the door, people were struggling to even survive or get food on the table. Absolutely. So what did that lead you to? Well, it kind of made me, it made me go into a sort of relief work research frenzy for the next decade or so, trying to find out how to actually do something about it. I think this is all coming from this, like, I need to do something about this. This is not, this is not possible. And also an immense amount of guilt. 
um, that I felt and shame for us for being white. I had stuff thrown at me just because I was white and it was, you know, oh, poor me. I, you know, had my first experience of racism. <laughs> it's like, I, I actually agreed with them. And I was like, yeah, you should throw rocks. I get it. Um, I think we are to blame. Um, and so I just went on this research, um, tour and just couldn't find anything that would actually fit because all of the relief work that we're doing right now, first of all, is fixing. Second of all, is still within the same system that is creating the struggle. Um, and so I just kept going back and back and back trying to find out what the actual cause is. So what, what were you, what were you identifying was, was, was that was causing that? Well, for lack of a better word, uh, inexplicably high amount of greed on our end, um, insatiability, needing things, wanting things, buying more things, which leads to cheap labor, cheap production, exploitation. You could go down the rabbit hole, discrimination, anything that um, any any sort of vile thing in the world is led by or fed by this insatiability that we have this insatiable appetite for more. Um, and that's not a bad thing. It was basically bred into us. It's not like we, we, we know how to, how to fix it, I guess, or we don't know how to, how to be with it as much because the only way I know how to keep myself from wanting things is not to look at anything <laughs> because we're inundated by everything, the messages and the marketing and the, everything is just pounding at our heads all the time. Of course, it's hard to not want if you're constantly told that you're not beautiful enough without this or not successful enough without that. Then, of course, of course, you're constantly doubting yourself. And of course, you're always going to want to find the thing that's going to make you whole or that's going to make you better. At some point, you actually you went back to Switzerland and you decided to quit your graphic design school uh, and not go back. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, um, that's pretty much exactly where I saw all of a sudden that I was part of the people creating the cheat code to make people want more things. (laughs) If I made something red, that meant it sold better. And I just, I, well, for lack of a better word, couldn't be with it. Um, I couldn't be part of, part of the problem, I guess, that was creating it. And I know it, we were just the people executing it, um, in the end, but it just kind of felt like I couldn't, I just couldn't be with it. I couldn't, I couldn't create stuff that would then make coerce people to buy, um, would manipulate people into feeling a certain way or feeling lack or feeling like they need something extra when actually they really don't. Um, and that's where I saw the actual power of manipulation. Communication and manipulation had always been part of our conversation at home. My mother taught communication in my school, actually. So it was always part of the conversation. Um, it just had always been looked at almost like a good thing. Um, and I know I'm saying it like that, like a lot of people think of it as a good thing, actually. Um, and or an, an, an something that's not able to be changed or something human or something that is just part of us. Uh, we manipulate, you know, we put on something pretty to look good, to make people want to, I don't know, hang out with us. I don't, I'm just using an arbitrary example, but, um, we use makeup, uh, which is also, I guess, a sense of manipulation. Um, the animal world uses it too. It's not completely inhumane. It's just that the way that we're using it is currently just in service of profit and not in service of people. And I think that's where the problem lies. So, how long was it between between doing that and and starting the the ethical move? 
So I guess fairly early on, people would ask me to speak out a bit more about how I saw what I saw as being manipulative, like pricing, things like that, um, that I'm sure we'll, we'll go into in a minute. And then I think maybe a year into it, I just had this sort of like burning where I'm like, I'm really, really, really tired of um, being manipulated um, and having all these like emails come into my inbox um, with like last chance and this is the only way you'll be happy. And just it just seemed like somebody needs to tell somebody needs to say something about taking responsibility in this. So you decided to take that first step. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I mean, you say something on, on your, on your homepage, which I really like, which is that businesses are waiting for customers to vote with their dollar, but that's only half of the equation. It's actually up to us as the business owners, uh, to take that first step and change the conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the same. It's, I mean, to, to really go <laughs> deep into it, um, it's, it's kind of a, uh, an, a, abusive relationship almost it's like we have we have a uh the customer kind of almost trying to having to battle this constant barrage of of imagery and what they should be doing and they're just like trying their hardest to buy consciously if they are a conscious consumer not everybody is but generally i know that most people care about what they buy and they want to make good choices and conscious choices and um and the business owners are still told that um you know, by, I don't know, coaches, programs, courses, um, to create, you know, you're just not a good business person if you can't grab their attention in a certain way, or you need to do this with your funnel, or you need to do this. And it just, it just becomes this weird robot machine thing that doesn't really have any human element to it. And I know that people are going more, a little bit more towards connection and communication, but it's still a long ways to go. So I think that businesses really need to look at what they're selling and how they're selling it um, because their customers are their most valued asset, if you think about it. And constantly coercing them is just not ethical. That's basically it. <laughs> so in other words, you're, you're, you're envisioning kind of a world where we don't need to coerce anybody. We don't need to manipulate anybody into doing anything. We don't need to to sell things for 1999 uh because my because more people might buy it there than at $20 but so what what I'm wondering is what kind of actions can uh business owners take to build more ethical businesses that don't need to manipulate that don't need to coerce but still grow sustainably right um right now what we're doing with the movement is well first of all <laughs> Join the movement, take the pledge, which is the first pledge that we have is actually changing your pricing from uh, a charm price, which is nines and sevens and all of those sort of like endings, let's say 297 to a round number, um, 350, 300, um, something that people can actually use um, and not sort of have a glitch happen in their head, um, which is just sort of a, a thing that happens when we see nines. We just think it's cheaper. Um, so that's the first pledge that we're suggesting. We're actually not at a place where we can say, hey, here's more pledges. Here's more ways of doing it. We know that scarcity and urgency are sort of in the next uh, realm. So maybe stop trying to maybe stop filling your courses with lying about how many people there are actually in it. Um, for example, saying, oh, there's only two seats left when there's actually nine. 
you know, things like that, where it's just, just basically, um, be incredibly transparent. There's also ways of actually communicating transparency, which we're, we're currently sort of looking at, which is if you write an email, if you write a campaign, why not just say, Hey, this is what we're selling. This is why we're selling it right now. This is why you should buy it. Uh, here's the price. What do you think? <laughs> and this is email one of five. I'm going to send you five more emails. And I know that you guys actually do this, which I think is awesome. Um, this is email one of five. This is about this thing. And then email two will be about this. Email three will be about this. Just so the person actually on the receiving end knows exactly what they're in for. So I know, I know that there's a lot of pushback against this because then people think, oh, well, if you do that, then, you know, you might not end up with as many customers. But I think what a missing piece is for a lot of people that a lot of, that many people maybe just kind of forget about is that in order to do this successfully, you really, really, really need to understand your customer. And you really need to put a lot of effort into user research and understanding who they really are. Absolutely. uh, And understanding what their needs are, what their pain points are, um, you know, what are the current challenges that they're facing? uh, You know, how how are they talking about what these problems are? And so that we can communicate with them in a way that's resonating with them, that's, that's transparent with them, and then also understanding... Where, how can you present what you're talking about in a way that expresses what you have to offer, but also, um, fulfills that need? Um, and I think, I think that that's something that a lot of people look past when they think, okay, well, you know, it sounds all great, but then if you don't, if you don't do all those scarcity tactics and you're just not going to end up with as many customers, but that's just leaving out this huge portion of no, if you, if you really understand your customer, if you resonate with people, they're going to come. I mean, they, they'll, they'll, they'll find you and where you, you know, if you, if you place yourself correctly, you know, there's going to be interest. Absolutely. I think there's also, there's a mentality that goes back, it feeds back into the same loop, which is this instant gratification, um, that we have where we're like, we need to use scarcity tactics in order to make profit today. Whereas what I'm suggesting, I guess, with a more ethical approach means, Take your time. Look at what your people are saying. Uh, try to learn to speak their language. Um, immerse yourself in their culture. You know, almost travel there and see what their world is like. And then create a world that they actually want to live in. Um, that's a, a, my approach anyways. And from there, you will have the right people and the people who will actually want to work with you. Most of what we're looking at right now is referral business anyways. So you might actually not have any losses if you choose to be on their side as opposed to on your side. And I think that's what I'm asking with the ethical move is you actually will generate a positive impact if you can say, hey, I'm part of a movement that says, let's be more ethical. So I'm going to communicate more transparently and give you all of the choice and give you all of the options that I have. And you can actually choose freely. There's no push. There's no there's no coercion. Um, you can just choose freely. And I swear anyone who, anyone who ever lets me choose freely, I will want to work with them. You know, like there's, it's almost like a reverse benefit, I think, of, of choosing to maybe not use the, the typical, um, the typical tactics that will probably generate numbers, but go for quality instead and longevity. I mean, we're looking at a sustainable long-term business. If you want to, if you want to coerce your people and go into scarcity and do all of that and make a ton of money, okay, but most likely you'll crash and burn. And I'm not saying that that will absolutely happen uh, because lots of businesses have proven it otherwise. I'm just saying that we are actually shifting right now. I think people are becoming more conscious 
And I think it would be just from a long-term perspective as a brander, it just doesn't seem like the right way to go when we're actually looking at uh, people more interested in conscious consumerism and how can I help the planet? Um, so if you're a part of something or if your business is part of something that's positive, people will want to work with you. It's about you and them, not about necessarily the exact way uh, in which you work together, you know? Right. And also, I think a big part of it is having a having a deeper meaning and a deeper purpose behind what you're doing, having a why Absolutely. for what you're doing that other people can really believe in. Um, because there have actually been studies that show that uh, companies that have purpose and that have vision that everybody can align behind and that everybody can stand behind inside of that company, they tend to do up to six times better uh, in in revenue and productivity than uh, than companies that don't have that. Um, Absolutely. Because when yeah. you, when you don't when you don't have that, you end up you end up filling that kind of vision vacuum with uh, tracking unnecessary metrics and measuring things that don't really need to be measured yeah. and and um, and anyway. So there's actual there's actual studies that that support the the fact that putting putting the effort into into understanding the why the purpose and the vision behind what you're doing actually has uh, a significant long term impact. Absolutely. And that's exactly it. It has a long-term impact. It's something that will grow over time. It might not be the exact moment that you're doing. It can be though. And it also has to be something that's not necessarily only of benefit to you. Um, this is something that I find a lot of people sort of fall into the trap of making their vision something really, really close to home where they benefit from it um, primarily. And this is actually almost like a key is to make it about them, make it about anything else, like make it, make it so that if somebody fulfilled on your vision first and did the thing that you said you were going to do with your mission, um, you wouldn't be upset, but it would, it would be a good thing. And you would want to take on something else after that. If you need to fulfill your mission in order to feel satisfied, then it's probably about you still. So what's, uh, can you give me an example of a, of a, of a good mission or a good vision? Yeah. I mean, if you, if you think about it, a lot of people are just saying, I care about helping people. Um, and that to me, well, first of all, it's just a bit, it's a bit loose. Um, it's not really a differentiating communication tool, but on the other hand, it still means that it's just, it's just not big enough to make an impact versus, for example, say, um, and I'm just going to use mine because I, I find it sort of illuminates what I mean. My, my purpose is to break consumerism. I want to stop the cycle. And I actually don't care if I live to see that or not. And if somebody took care of that tomorrow, I would be fine with that. And I would congratulate them and go take a nap. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I, I understand what you mean. Um, for, this show and this community and, and, uh, this movement that we're, we're hoping to, to encourage with the human strike back. It's, it's all about helping people succeed, helping others succeed by putting people first. And for us, that's the first and foremost, most important thing. I mean, we're at a company, hot jar. We do sell a product. Uh, but when we started this show, we knew, uh, that the most important thing that we were going to do with this show was not, was not going to have anything to do with hot jar. It was about genuinely helping people succeed. Of course, we knew that the more we do that, people are going to become aware of Hotjar and people are going to become aware of what we do. But we also knew that it would 
It would enable people to understand what Hotjar really stands for and what Hotjar is all about. And that we're not out there to just try to sell our product. And we're not just out there to get more people to use our tool. We're out there to make a difference. We're out there to really make the world a better place. We're out there to make the web a better place. We're out there to help people embrace a people first mentality because that's the way to succeed. And we're interested in other people succeeding because the more other people succeed, the better the world gets in general. So it's like a win-win all around. Exactly. And it's like the moment we started with this message, suddenly we got this huge wave of uh, of positive feedback and support and subscribers. And we didn't really have to make a massive effort to, to find that because people were really hungry for a message like that. And absolutely that's, that's, that's for us what it's all about. And that has to stay our priority the entire time, you know, um, because it can't, it, you know, we can't think about like, okay, how are we going to get more open rates? How are we going to increase our click through rate? You know, of course, we're looking at these things as a sign, like how are people resonating yeah. uh, with the content that we're creating? And if the open rates are going down, we're probably doing something that's not resonating with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, the goal is not to increase our conversion rate. The goal is not to increase our open rates. Uh, the goal is to help people. The goal is to to champion a people first cause. And like you said, you know, we don't know if this is going to happen in our lifetime, that this will become a mainstream thing, but we're doing our part to make a dent. Exactly. Exactly. And it's interesting how you were saying, you know, you're not trying to just get the conversion rate up because we know what to do in order to get conversion rate up. There's tools and methods and, you know, tactics you can use. Um, but that's just such a cheap way of doing things, you know, like that's always what surprises me. I'm like, that's so, that's so boring. That's really, you know, you're really not making a whole lot of effort, are you? Like you're just using as many tricks as possible to get it to work, you know? And and I I know firsthand because I've been in that position. I mean, I was at a company where that was my job. You know, how can I bring, how can I increase the visitor to email subscriber ratio? And I tested all kinds of things and I, and, and eventually I did. And eventually I got it really high, like much higher than industry average. But in the end, what was I doing? You know, was I really helping these people? And no, I was just kind of tricking them into getting into our email list, which in the end didn't really make sense because they weren't really the right what people. Were they, they what the- were they there for? Exactly. They just, they're the kind of people who would, who would, um, go into the sort of funnel that actually would not serve, like it wouldn't serve them and it wouldn't serve you. Like there's no actual relationship there if you're just, if you just hacked our minds. Exactly. Exactly. So what, what are the, what are the next steps for the ethical move? At the moment, you're, you're getting people to create this pledge to, to commit to round numbers yeah. instead of these kind of, um, what did you charm call them? Prices. Charm, prices. charm prices. Yeah. What, what else, what else are you envisioning, uh, that the, eth- what kind of impact would you like the ethical move to have? Uh, um, well, if I'm completely 100% honest, and this is where, you know, truth always takes a bit of courage, we are actually, wanting to make a big enough shift that we as a movement could win a Nobel Prize. That's where we're headed with it. That's the big end goal. Anything that we can do in service of that, (laughs) um, which means that we actually have change in the world. So the very next steps are creating a new pledge um, beyond the round numbers. We're going to uh, wait until we have a certain substantial amount of people uh, having pledged that we can start the conversation. We have a medium publication that we're starting this month. Uh, we have a podcast that we want to start as well. Um, we have quite a few people on board who want to do different things. Um, 
that we're still sort of deciding how to go forth because we um, we really want to take it slow. We don't want to feed the same noise loop that we already are experiencing plenty of. Um, and then by next year, we would like to have our standard set with maybe with maybe uh, about five pledges, uh, maybe ten, depending on how many how many pledges we can come up with that actually have. Uh, a solid enough base. I find the um, the numbers, the round numbers um, pledge is a very easy one because it's just black and white. It's digits. It's one is manipulative, the other one is not. Um, but as soon as you go into scarcity tactics, sometimes, sometimes scarcity, sometimes there really is only one seat left, <laughs> you know. And you want to tell people to say, "Hey, there's only one seat left," and that is just a very there's a, a lot of gray zone, a lot of gray area in. Um, in the entire con- conversation around manipulation. So what we're really looking for is just starting the conversation, creating a community of people who are willing to look at it again and again and again, because it just requires sort of courage and responsibility to look at um, look at what we're doing as sellers and see, okay, so maybe a transparency campaign will be good, or maybe I will stop using images of children if there's no children in the program. Um, or maybe I will, oh, this is actually a, uh, a thing that I saw that we might look at in the movement. So we're really just kind of opening our arms and going, all right, let's have a conversation. Uh, everybody come on in. <laughs> um, so we're just really looking to broaden the horizon at the moment and to make it an issue as opposed to sort of standing there and saying, hey, this is really not cool. We're just, we just want to put some stakes in the ground and see what happens. Because of course, somebody can have an ethical business, but use charm prices, but not, not necessarily be an unethical person. Um, I'm just asking people to take the pledge anyways, to take a, to just take a, a stand and become part of sort of a, I guess a different way of thinking. So we can make it okay that people, you know, that people can actually do different ways of, just use different marketing tactics that um, do not include coercion. Right. And so a lot of people are on the fence about embracing a people first approach. And what would you say to them to help them understand that this really is the only sustainable way to succeed? Oh gosh. Um, We're going to be more and more and more people. I don't know anyone who's ever, I guess, lived in Europe or anywhere where it's really dense uh, will understand how it's just, it's not going to get better, so to speak. Um, we're not going to, we're going to need to share more. We're going to need to be more community oriented, I think, in the future as a society. And if we actually want to make a difference in the world, if we say we want to make a difference, then we need to absolutely take responsibility for how we sell things and how we, what we bring to the market. Because if we bring cheap products and, and, and just sort of another profit, uh, profit making machine to the market, then I wonder if you really mean it when you say you care about the world. And if you do care about the world, and I think most of us do, most of us in the online business world anyways that I know actually really care, um, then why not try it? We don't know until we try. We have no idea what's on the other side of manipulation. We don't know what's on the other side of only profit. We just haven't lived it yet. So it might actually be way better over there, but unless we all sort of like rally and do it, we will never find out. And then we just have the same old school mentality that was given to us by madmen. And and we just continue using the same rules. To me, it just makes no sense that we are the new economy, and we just keep using the old economy's rules. That to me is just kind of silly also, you know? And so it's almost like, look at what we got. We have infinite possibility with the internet and anything, anything is possible. 
So why don't we use that anything instead of sticking to the same old rules? Right. And if you had to pick one resource to help our listeners succeed by putting people first, what would it be? Honestly, I was thinking about this long and hard. Honestly, call a client, find out where they're at. Like, I don't know, get in communication with your people. There's not really a resource better than the voices of your people. So you mean actual face-to-face contact, human-to-human contact with your actual customers to learn what it is that they actually need, what their actual situation yeah. is. Yeah, and actually listen. And don't don't sort of like reflect back on your product, but maybe there's a product out there that they want that you're capable of making, but you just haven't heard about or do you, you haven't had the, the openness, I guess, to hear it. Um, just try and be filter-free and discover instead of trying to sort of figure out, you know, just right. sit back. <laughs> Great. And uh, finally, where can people learn more about The Ethical Move and the work that you're doing? We are at theethicalmove.org. Um, we're currently just building out all of our social media, so we're not anywhere else yet. Um, but that's where you can find us. You can send us an email there. Um, we have a few members that are um, working on it. Um, I'm working on it with that um, each have their own websites, so you can also contact them directly. Um, yeah, and we're just going to be creating more and more content and an online community and all kinds of ways in which people can start this conversation. Alice, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing about the great work that you're doing. Really appreciate you having you here. Uh, thank you for having me on. Thanks for listening, my fellow human. We know how fast-paced life is. And so if you're listening to this on your daily commute, or while running, or even cooking, you can always go to hotjar.com slash humans and look for today's episode. That's where you'll find access to all the resources and humans we talked about, the full transcript of the conversation, and even links to related episodes. And if you like today's episode, please help us out by leaving your honest rating and review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. The more honest feedback we get, the more we can improve the show for you, and the more this podcast will be discovered by other humans. It's a win-win situation. Until next time, take care and be human.